0: Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. This is your first time tuning in. Welcome, all the regular listeners. Welcome back. I appreciate every single one of you. If you guys aren't subscribed to the podcast, please make sure you do so wherever you're listening to this, whether it be Castbox, Apple, Spotify, whatever, subscribe. And if you can and you get value from this, leave us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to this. It's greatly appreciated. Also, we're available on YouTube and I really have a goal this year for the rest of this year into next year is to grow that channel. And the funny thing is is I didn't promote it enough because I, for some reason, had this thing like we don't have enough subscribers, so I don't want to send people there. And you know what? At the end of the day, that is a real intentional mission that I have to grow that channel because I know that a lot of opportunities will come from that and it's going to serve you guys more. So I'm going to be doing a lot more intentional content for that. We can take and turn it into a podcast or whatever, but that is a place that I really want to pay attention to. And I want you guys to as well. So if you haven't subscribed to YouTube or the podcast, wherever you listen to it, make sure you do. So it really helps. just wanted to, to really um, just let you guys know that that it helps. And the more subscribers, the more you know, it shows up on these platforms and whatever else, the more buzz it creates. And the reviews also help too. Also, you guys, there's a couple other things I want to talk to you about before we get into today's episode. Now, another, ep- so the YouTube is one thing that I really want to focus on this year to help bring more value to you guys. But second is growing my email list. Now, I used to not like the whole email list thing because I used to think, oh, it's just full of like people trying to sell stuff. And look, at the end of the day, yes, an email list is good to sell stuff, but it's a great way to also bring everybody together to communicate with and talk about things that are going on. So what I, in the last few years, haven't done the best job of is taking all of you amazing humans that either follow me or listen to the show and bringing them together in one spot. And that's what I really wanna focus on with the email list, is that I wanna share with you guys stories about what's going on in my life, what's going on in and my perspective and different things we have going on that you will hear first. It's not just going to be salesy stuff. It's going to be from the heart, but real emails. And we're going to start out. I'm going to show up consistently once a week with a, with an email and tying in the podcast to it as well. And we'll we'll see how that goes. But if you are a listener to this podcast, I highly recommend joining our email list. And um, you know, let's let's build this thing because. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen with social media. I don't post a lot these days. I don't really go on Facebook too much. Probably should, but I don't. I, my content is a lot more videos, and I don't really share that many posts. So I want to be able to share my thoughts with you guys and for you to hear it first. So here's the opportunity that I think is a fun way for you to join the email list. Now, I don't know if you are aware of what we had when the, my book came out, but we created this warrior quiz. And it's basically a self-awareness quiz on how you show up when adversity hits. I created these four archetypes in my book, Mastering Adversity, that helps you identify what happens when adversity hits. Do you show up as a warrior? Do you show up as a distractor, a fixer, um, a distractor? Which one are you, right? And it's it's a good way to be able to um, kind of navigate how you show up in a difficult situation. Now, I think most of us show up in every single one at times. I know I do, and I talk about that in the book. But what's really cool is that it gives you an opportunity to sort of have that awareness as to, huh, these are the habits that, these are the behaviors that come up, and this is how I show up in adversity. So it's interesting, right? So you have the warrior, the distractor, the fixer, and um, the victim, the distractor, the fixer, and the warrior. Shit, I should probably not forget those, right? (laughs) But yeah, those are the four archetypes. And I tell you, if you, if you answer these, honestly, you'll get what you need. So go through that. The link is down below. And that's like a good way to get onto the email list. Cause I feel like if you do that quiz, you kind of, you know, where, you know, you, you're, you're actually wanting to be on the list. I don't want anybody that doesn't want to be on the email list to be on there. I want people that really want to be on there. If you want to, you know, unsubscribe, unsubscribe, but I want people to want to take these quizzes and just like grow together, right? So that's your opportunity. Even if you don't want to take the quiz, you can put your email in there and you'll put you through, but highly recommend it, right? And then also you guys, if, you know, you, and that's for, if you don't have, uh, you know, you don't have the budget or whatever to to purchase a book or anything, but the next thing I'm going to say, This podcast is brought to you by my new book, Mastering Adversity. Now, it came out at the end of September, you know, life-changing experience. I've gotten lots of feedback. People message me and tell me so many amazing things. So if you want to take the work that we do here at University of Adversity, the stuff I share on social media, you want to go deep, you want to discover your adversity archetypes, and then you want to find out deeper into the book all the stuff I talk about, gravel copy. It's a great gift for somebody. I've had people of different ages, you know, older, younger, say it really resonated with them that the language really speaks to them and kind of articulates what they're thinking into words. And that means a lot. So this whole show wouldn't be possible without you guys. And I just, in, in these situations, I really want to ask for your support for the show to continue it, to be able to grow and to become the next thing. Um, I really appreciate you guys if you grab a copy or join the email list or whatever it is you can do to give back to the show, it's much appreciated, all right. So enough about that. Let's get into today's guest. We have Jake Kaufman joining us today. So Jake is a badass. He's um, an amazing coach. He's a high performance coach and business mentor to mission-driven coaches and entrepreneurs. He's the executive producer and founder of Transient Productions. And since to, since 2018, he has coached hundreds of top, line, top online coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs to overcome their self-conscious self-sabotage while supporting them and growing their business revenue. He is also an author and speaker in his first book, Love Me. He talks about the story of abuse growing up, And how he was able to overcome his pain that ultimately unlocked his potential to serve and support others in their personal development and transformation. Now, Jake was doing very well in the coaching industry prior, but then he had an accident and he lost his memory. And we go into that story and it really made things difficult for him. And this was a really powerful conversation because we go really deep and he shares a lot, but what happened was it changed his whole method of coaching and what he sees as an issue in the coaching industry. This is a key thing. So make sure you listen to this right to the end, because we get to the reason why there's a problem in this like hustle, hustle, hustle society of like entrepreneurs and the grind and what's behind it. So if you want to find out what that is, make sure to listen to this. Okay. Right till the end. Um, and yeah, we really, we cover it. And Jake really knows his stuff and he articulates his message really well. So highly recommend this conversation. If you guys do get value from this, you feel somebody needs it, share it, share it with somebody. That's the best way to, uh, to get the message out there, right? This show has grown to where it is from people just sharing it, tagging us in stories, giving it to somebody that needs it. And uh, that's what it's all about, right? This is a community. It's a community of something bigger than me. And the and the mission is to just impact as many people as we can through these powerful stories and by giving you guys these tools that you can use in your own life. All right. So enjoy the episode. Here we go, Jake. Welcome to the show, brother. Finally get you on after, uh, I don't know, we talked about doing this a while ago, so we're making it happen. We-
1: who we did, Lance. Thanks so much for having me. Really, really glad to be here.
0: Yeah, dude, I'm. I'm really excited to chat. You've been through a lot recently, and I really just want to hit everybody hard with this right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You went through a really
2: scary, tragic accident. That mm-hmm. I I remember, man. I'm. I
0: remember just like some of the stuff you were talking about and just the detail and, and just, I, I put myself in that situation of thinking like, holy shit, like, yeah, how scary. And, you know, to be able to actually move through that is really, really powerful. And I want to just hear, you know, I want to hear from your words, what happened. Yeah. Let's, let's dive right in and give everybody the, uh, the full story.
1: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the long and short of it is in February of this year, I was out on the golf course with my girlfriend's father and I suffered an early onset seizure. And of course I was standing on the 0.001% of the golf course that's covered in cement. I was standing on the cart path. Mm-hmm. And when I had the seizure and passed out, I fell and hit my head Split my head wide open. I was unconscious for about an hour. And when I woke up, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was, what year it was. I didn't know, I didn't even know who my girlfriend was. Wow. And we ended up, you know, being taken to the emergency room and was diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury.
0: With that, I want to, like, because seizures, first of all, had you had any before that? Had never had never had a seizure before that. Seizures
1: don't run in my family. And of course, it was very confusing because the EEG, the CAT scan, the MRI, all of these different things came back clean. In fact, my clinical neurologist said, she's like, you're the healthiest person I've ever had in my office. And I've been doing this for 30 years. She's like, this just doesn't make any sense. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so... I ended up meeting with a functional neurologist here in Atlanta who is actually a really good friend of mine. And he told me, he's like, once you get the EEG, you know, all these test results back, he's like, my guess is that it's going to come clean. Mm. Call me. So I was like, okay. And so I did. And he's like, listen, here's the thing you've navigated so much transition over the past year. And for those that don't know, Last summer, summer of 2021, I moved from Los Angeles to Atlanta, moved in with my partner who has two kids. So I do a cross-country move. I move in with a partner and now I'm co-parenting and responsible for providing and caring for two kids that are not my own on top of running a business. And it was incredibly stressful, as you can imagine. It was just, it was complete overload and overwhelmed my system, given you know, the significance of all of those things that I was navigating all at the same time. And so he basically hypothesized that it was due to hypoxia, the seizure that is, which is a lack of oxygen in the bloodstream because I was in a chronic state of hypervigilance for months on end. Basically, I was just in a high, high state of stress and it had become normalized. But at a certain time, my body was just like, Pull the plug, reset the system. Unfortunately, it did so while I was standing on cement and ended up suffering a, a traumatic brain injury as a result.
0: Dude, that's crazy, man. And do you do you think about like do you ever like why did this happen? You know, do you? Yes. yes yeah, Speak to us about that, man.
2: Like, because mm-hmm. well, there's
0: there's sometimes like you know. These things happen, and it's just so mm-hmm. crazy yeah. that it's it's like there has to be something bigger here. There has to be a reason. Totally. Well, if you're familiar at all with Jung,
1: Jungian psychology, Carl Jung talks a lot about moving from the first half of life to the second half of life, which is, in essence, the hero's journey, right? The hero leaves home. He goes on an adventure. He's supported by a guide in that process. And in the middle of that process, the hero goes through what's referred to as the cage. And the cave is defined by suffering and darkness. And so Carl Jung says, it's in the cave. Let's back up real quick. It's in the cave that the hero actually dies. Now, it's a metaphorical death course. But he dies to his old self, his egoic identity, or his false self, in order to become the man that he needs to be or the woman that she needs to be, in order to go on this further journey and slay the dragon, conquer the kingdom, you know, rescue the people, defeat the bad guy, whatever it may be. Uh, but it's in the cave that the hero dies to who he used to be and who he's become his personality, right? Because our personality is not actually who we are. It's a projection of a persona that we put out into the world that is not actually our authentic self. And so Carl Jung talks about this process of going through the cave and transitioning from the first half of life into the second half of life, and that one must experience necessary suffering. And this necessary suffering is typically experienced in four ways, death, disease, divorce, or extreme doubt, which we know as a crisis of faith. And so while I didn't necessarily experience a physical death, it was very much a metaphorical death because, you know, I've been a high performer my whole life athlete all through high school, even briefly on into college, an entrepreneur, have a successful business. And so I'm used to having these mental resources like assertiveness, determination, consistency, discipline, joy, positivity, optimism, all of these things that as soon as my head injury happened, were gone. They were gone. And I was met with a ton of anxiety, depression, sadness, grief, frustration that I had no control over because I had this traumatic brain injury. Now, all of those things are very common with traumatic brain injuries, right? Because you're stripped of these normal mental resources that you have historically relied upon in an effort to keep up this persona. Right, This projection of the false self that we rely upon and that we start to construct unconsciously as really young children in an effort to answer the questions of who do I need to be, what do I need to do, and how do I need to be perceived in order to be loved, accepted, and successful. So as you can imagine, it's very important for early stage development as as children and adolescents, right, where we're bent on getting love and approval from our parents and eventually acceptance and admiration from our peers. The problem is that for most people, we get stuck in this phase where it's all about the self and it's about image and success and personal accomplishment, achievement, status. And we never actually for most people, break out of this, this phase and go on what is referred to as the further journey. And so Carl Jung believes that this necessary suffering has to be thrust upon you. You cannot choose it. Otherwise, it's in the words of Richard Rohr, it's bogus self-help on your own terms. And so here's this thing that is completely out of my control. Right? And, and I know that you and I are very similar. We've done a lot of personal development over the years. Right. Things that we have consciously chosen into, taken part of, invested in, whether it's coaching or therapy or different programs, workshops, seminars. But this is something that I didn't choose. This was something that was completely thrust upon me. And I was met by all of these different masks that I had been wearing ever since I was a little kid in an effort to be loved, accepted, and successful that were no longer available to me and what was beneath that all of this pain that i had been unconsciously avoiding by way of those
2: masks wow man how scared were you that maybe things wouldn't come back on like how scared were you that you you know
0: that there was like permanent change in you. I mean yeah. obviously there is but like I'm just trying to imagine myself in this situation like how scary that would be to mm-hmm. to lose those things that are just so that we almost take for granted.
2: Mm-hmm. Like our brain oh, yeah. is
0: such a our brain is such a miracle and it's right. like when it's if it's not working properly like that's scary. What did that feel like? 100%. I mean it was hell. You know,
1: it was it was absolute hell. Because, you know, imagine if you're a runner and all of a sudden you don't have your legs anymore, like what yeah. that would do to you. Yeah. It was a very similar experience for me. It just, it wasn't related to my, I mean, I guess it was related to my physical health because there was, you know, this very acute blunt force trauma to my head. But once the wound healed from that, it was pretty much all related to my mental health. And yeah, it was absolutely hell because you become, after decades, you know, I'm 36, you become used to being able to show up in a certain way. And in your words, right. you kind of start to take for granted these, these things, these personality traits or characteristics that you've historically relied upon to perform at a really high level, to be successful. Like I mentioned, I'm an entrepreneur and I very much relied on a lot of these characteristics to build a successful business. And now all of a sudden, I don't have access to those mental resources anymore and I what's furthermore is I can't artificially manufacture them like there was no amount of like pumping myself up you know to be able to get myself to to go and do it and so you know for people who are listening who have experienced depression I'm sure they're like yep that's exactly what the experience is like but when you've never had that experience and you go from being this like incredible high performer to all of a sudden struggling to get out of bed that's hell and i don't i don't wish that on anyone you know because eventually there i mean there were days lance where i was like i never contemplated suicide but there were absolutely days where i was like you know what it, it might just be better if i didn't wake up tomorrow
2: honestly yeah
1: and yeah there was an incredible amount of fear around like, is this going to be permanent? Like, am I always going to feel this way? And, you know, full transparency, it went on for like three and a half months and arguably longer. It was about three and a half months into it that I ended up going on medication because I, I went to my, my doctor and basically said, Hey, listen, I have this business. I have employees. I need to be able to show up to work and produce. If I'm going to continue to have a business and continue to be able to pay my employees. And I ended up going on medication for a couple months, um, which was a whole other experience in and of itself. I ended up going on, on Ritalin, which is a methamphetamine. So you can imagine after three wow. and a half months of experiencing depression, where your baseline is like way down here, and now you're on mess, and you're boom, all the way up here. But of course, then what ends up happening, you wake up the next day and you're back down here again and you got to start all, you got to start over. And so, yeah, it was very much a fear of mine that I wouldn't get better and that I would always feel this way because after several months, you just become used to that. And you do start to wonder, you know, if you've ever been sick for a really long period of time, you know, several weeks, if not longer, there does come this point where you're like, what is it? you like to be healthy again? Like I don't quite remember.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, and that's, and that's where it got. Was it
0: hard for you to ask for help because being such a high performer and just doing things and being the doer all the time and then having to kind of surrender and ask for help and, and receive that because I'm, I'm, I'm just taking a guess here from the success that you've had and how driven you are. You probably didn't really need to lean on a lot of people. You could probably get a lot of shit done yourself. Am I right? I mean,
1: yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Early on an entrepreneur, you know, in my entrepreneurial journey, I was, I was on my own and then eventually over time built my team, but regardless was very used to being at the helm of, of it, of it all. And all of a sudden, I couldn't be. And so, yeah, that was very, very difficult for me to ask for and lean on the support of others, not just for that reason, but yes, especially because of that, but also because you know, I, I have a deeply seated story that no one is going to support me when it comes to meeting my needs and that I'm all on my own when it comes to meeting my needs. And so, yeah, I had become habituated to relying only on myself or predominantly on myself in an effort to get things done. Which I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to, to some degree. And so initially it was incredibly hard. You know, Carrie and I would have the same conversation three or four times in a day and I wouldn't remember. Wow. She'd be like, we've had had this conversation before. And I was like, no, we didn't. And she's like, yeah, we, we did. We've actually had it twice wow. oh. or, or or three times. Really? Oh yeah. That's how yeah. Good,
0: that's how bad the memory loss was.
1: That's oh yeah. My really? short my short term memory was pretty much shot.
0: That's crazy, man.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. How how was how did that affect your relationship? Like it must have strained things a lot. You know, it was really tough
1: because you know she kind of became my caretaker for for a little while you know head injuries are really interesting because physically outside of the trauma to the head you know which had pretty much healed after at least the the wound right the cut in my head that that healed after you know like a week or two but after that it's so confusing because your body physically feels fine right and and i've like i said i've been an athlete my whole life I, i i love going to the gym Working out, exercising, you know, I've done three marathons. And so I'm just very used to being active and motivated and going to the gym and being consistent in my workout routine. And all of a sudden, I have zero desire to do that. No desire whatsoever, no passion, no inspiration. But it was really difficult on a relationship because something that's very common with traumatic brain injuries is extreme irritability. And so I would get really, really frustrated when I couldn't remember things or when Carrie would mention that we've had a conversation multiple times. And I would essentially insist that no, we didn't simply because I couldn't remember it. Wow. You know, and yeah, I got really frustrated with my inability to function at just a very basic level, Lance. You know, I would forget that I had showered I would have to go and like feel my bath towel to be like, okay, I showered today.
0: Oh, man. That's crazy. That's like, I can't even imagine
2: what that's like, bro.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it
2: was,
1: it was really, really rough, you know, and thank God I had a lot of incredible support. As far as my therapist that I work with, who I had been working with for many, many months leading up to this event, he knew exactly what was going on. Like in terms of like the dying process that I was going through and transitioning from the first half of life to the second by way of this like necessary suffering that I had no choice in the matter. He knew exactly what was going on. And so for him to be there through that and kind of guide me through that process, because like I said, the, the cave, both in like the metaphorical sense, in the hero's journey, and in terms of what I literally went through, was defined by pain, suffering, darkness, confusion,
2: and sadness. Wow. How has this experience changed the way you coach and move like your like the
0: work that you do, because yeah, the fact that you can now relate to such, you know, to people going through this stuff at yeah. a level, because that's really what it is, right? It's to be able to connect with somebody and resonate with where they're at. And now yeah. you've been able to, you've been able to be in that and to be able to move through that and work through that. So I'm curious, like how, Cause we met last year or we met in 2021 yep. and yep. you know, you were, you were, you were, you know, high performance coach, you were doing your thing, but yep. you know, now is 2022 and the accidents happen. So I'm just curious as to like, how has that changed now? What you do and how you do it?
1: Yeah, well, great question. It's completely different as you can imagine. Yeah. Because yes, prior to this accident and a little bit of backstory, you know, I've, been four years supporting some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the online space when it comes to growing their business. My approach has always been personal development forward. Yeah. You know, the majority of business coaches or high performance coaches, so much of it is focused on the external habits, strategies, behaviors, things like that, and not the psychology of the person not the beliefs, not the identity of the person that drives all of those things. And so my coaching has always been personal development forward. But suffice it to say, this this kind of took it to a whole other level entirely because it gave me language that I didn't have previously. So it was actually kind of encouraging, Lance, because I was like, oh, I've been on to something this entire time because the best way to think about it is that in the first stage of life, it's all about construction, right? Constructing an identity that people admire. It's all about, like I said, personal accomplishment and achievement, status, reputation, all of these things. So it's all about construction. In the hero's journey, it's all about deconstruction. It's all about dying to that admired identity or the false self that most people want nothing to do with it just because it's so painful. And in Jungian psychology, he literally says that all of the things that went into making up your first half of life identity essentially have to fall apart. Like, And so you see a lot of people who are going through this phase, right? They get divorced, right? They leave their careers or their businesses fall apart, right? We call it a midlife crisis for a reason. That's what's actually happening. Most people just don't actually realize that that's what's occurring, right? They want to like go back to what worked for them in the past, right? Which is a very primal, primitive, egoic response, right? We want to like go back to the way that things used to be and how things worked in the past, because that's what we did in an effort to be successful. And even if it didn't work, even if it wasn't effective, it did work, right? In a sense, because otherwise we wouldn't do it, right? It became our normal. It became our comfort zone, right? So we see this with people, even if people who are in scarcity, right? Because they grew up that way, that's what they know. That's what is comfortable for them. So, you know, you see people win the lottery and like, what, like 18 months later, they've squandered all the money, right? They're trying to get back to um, the way things used to be, right? Homeostasis, things that they're used to and what their normal is. Mm. And so for most people, when they are confronted by this necessary suffering and everything that goes with it, egoically, they're like, no, thank you. I don't want any." <laughs> any Any part to do with all of this, even if I don't have full control over the situation, I'm going to do my absolute best to go back. And this is why we see people just like kind of repeating, repeating cycles rather than like fully embracing the pain and the suffering and the growth that's available for them in that pain and in that suffering to really go on this further journey where reconstruction takes place and this is where we see people fully step into like a higher purpose or if you're you know religious or spiritual like a divine purpose where all of a sudden it becomes about giving and contribution and human the betterment of humanity and generosity and philanthropy we see this all the time with with people especially in the entrepreneurial space where They build up a really successful business only to watch it completely like fall apart for whatever reason. And then what ends up happening is they go on and they create this business or this new chapter in their life that is all about giving to other people and being in service and in contribution to others. Yeah,
0: it's so
2: interesting Carl Jung, just I love this man because it's like it's so fascinating, and the
0: the, the personas I want to dive into a little bit here because I can relate with this a lot and sure. it's we get this validation for this character we play right correct yep you get you get the you know for me, for instance, this was the hardest one for me to let go of was the the athlete, the bartender, yep. the validation, the girls, the feedback. Mm-hmm. Yes, here you go like you're getting rewarded for all this stuff. Yet mm-hmm. the toxicness of it was was destroying me and it wasn't fulfilling. But yet mm-hmm. it was how I received validation. Totally. Was that if I got the approval from the from the girl, then yep. I'm good. If I yep. if I performed well, then I'm good. And this is stuff I even talk about in my book about my dad that I didn't even realize that there was like mm-hmm. this time of it wasn't unconditional love all the time it was like Mm-mm. conditions if I did yeah. if I didn't show up and do have a good hockey game yep. I I had I had to deal with this like negative energy and same with school and that that has been so challenging as well that shedding that old that old like bartender kind of. Yeah. You know, because it's like, well, who, who am I after that? And you see this with athletes Correct. too. Who am I after sports? Like, I, I, I've, I've been putting my life and getting the validation through this, and then it ends. It's yep. a
1: death. Correct. And that's, that's why so many people have a hard time with it because yeah. the, ego, the ego becomes so attached to this identity that it has no idea who I am without it. Yeah. And so, It's painful. It's painful, painful. yeah. Because by letting it go, and you alluded to this, by letting it go, you're letting go of all of the payoffs, all of the rewards that you got from putting that identity on in the first place. And this starts young, Lance. Carrie's kids are six and eight years old right now. And I'm witnessing this in them in real time. Carrie's son, Peyton, who's eight years old, He's very curious. Like he loves to play and explore and discover. So as you can imagine, he's a little bit rebellious, right? Because of that. And he has learned that his like rebellious nature, and most of it is just like childhood innocence. But he has learned that his rebelliousness gets attention. Uh, even if, even if it's negative attention. Right. So he continues to do it. Now this is unconscious to him, yeah. but we we see it as parents, as his caregivers, where we're like, "Oh, you're you're doing this to get attention right now, right?" We can we can tell that you are intentionally not listening, listening or deliberately disobeying in an effort to to get attention right now. Now, because he's that way, how do you think Harry's six year old daughter is? The same or different? The opposite. Opposite. opposite yeah. Correct. Yep. Yeah, because because she sees Peyton getting negative attention, right, because he's oh, yeah. he's kind of the rebellious one. And she's like, I'm going to be the goody two shoes. Right. So she listens to a teeny for the most part, and she disobeys like every child does in their development, because that's a part of it. Learning to test the boundaries and break the rules and whatnot in your own way. But how she does it looks completely different from Peyton. How she gets attention is by crying. So even if she's deliberately disobeying, she doesn't get mad or pushed back. Like, Pate. what does she do? She starts crying. Mm. And so now we can see this right? again as her yeah. caregivers that like that like she's not actually sad. Nothing is actually wrong. Nothing is warranting this behavior. She's trying to get attention just in a completely different way from pain. So they're learning this, and we all learn this really, really young. In fact, I think 70% of our cognitive development happens between the ages of two and seven. Yeah. Over 70%. And so this happens very, very early on for us, and it's completely unconscious. The issue, like I mentioned early on in the podcast, and, and I'll speak specifically to men because Men, I work with men now exclusively in my business. Is that most men never break free from this persona? Mm. And so, most men, and you use the word yourself, most men are performing. Yeah. They're projecting a persona that is not actually them, it's not their true and
0: authentic self. Would you say that's the majority that we see online? Like, correct. It's not like 98 percent
1: you're gonna lance you're gonna start to see this everywhere right because again the, the first half of life identity it's it's all about posturing and proving right yeah. it's all about pushing and chasing success or women or admiration and approval etc richard Rohr actually says that he believes only five percent of people ever actually truly wake up and fully breaks free from this persona. Because like I mentioned, when they start to experience this necessary suffering, they tend to want to go back to the way that they used to be and the things that worked for them in the past because that deconstruction process is just so fucking painful. Yeah, It's so painful, right? And it often looks like everything kind of just falling apart. Like it was crazy. Not only did my health start to fall apart, but like my business started to fall apart for like seemingly no reason. Right? Like I had clients start to to cancel out of nowhere for no justifiable reason. You know, and I I prided myself on, you know, client success and, and that being kind of like one of the big things that I can hang my hat on, that we can hang our hat on as a business, like we hardly ever had clients cancel. I don't think I had, I think I had one person ask for a refund over the course of like three and a half years. And now all of a sudden I'm getting like cancellation after cancellation after cancellation. And things are just like completely starting to fall apart. Obviously, like my relationship with Carrie was very strenuous because of how difficult it was to navigate all of the health implications. And, you know, Her kind of being my caregiver rather than, you know, my partner for, for a time being and everything just started to fall apart. And, you know, I kind of just got to this point to where I had the surrender and I was like, okay, fine, you know, like I give in, you know, like I completely let my, my mastermind go, which was a, a huge pillar of success. In my business for a really long time it was the primary source of of revenue for us as a business i like completely let that go but for a time i tried to keep it going because like i said it was just so painful it was so difficult to navigate all of this like loss and death all at once that it, it took me a minute you know it took me a minute to finally like give in and let go and fully surrender to this. And I don't think people ever really give themselves the benefit of completely falling apart. This process humble you a lot. Like, Oh my word. Oh yeah. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's, I can already see a shift
0: in you, bro. From when we first met till now, like there's like a shift in your energy, like just from the way, like it's beautiful, man. It's a, it's a beautiful thing you know, yeah. and I'm sure you can probably see the blessing in this now because what a, what a thing to test your relationship, to test yourself. And now people that listen to this, like it, it's so much more relatable. Like you've really, yeah. you've been able to go through this and move through this. And that's yeah what people are going through. And, and it's beautiful because Man, relationships are such a are such a test, and to be able to move through that in that time, what a what a great way to strengthen a bond between two people.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, our relationship is definitely better for it, and you know, we're probably the closest we've ever been right now because of the the trials and the tribulations. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is what people really go through that we just don't actually see. Like, How many entrepreneurs have you talked to who are outwardly successful on paper, yeah? but behind the scenes, their relationships are a mess. They're toxic or dysfunctional, right? They're completely unhealthy, whether it's related to their physical health or their mental health, yeah. right? Depression and anxiety are incredibly common. Like, I know in the world of, um, you know, the entrepreneurial world, for example, I think it's like 74% of entrepreneurs suffer from some type of mental health disorder compared to, I believe, 48% of the general population. So, right, we're, this is the reality yeah. of, of what is actually happening. Crazy. That's what, the, that's what the first half of life is all about, is projecting this image of success so that I can be loved and accepted and admired, but it's not reality. It's a mask. It's a mask that we wear. And it's not until we're like really forced to take off the mask that we allow ourselves to be truly and fully seen in our innocence for who we really, really are. And then we're allowed to go on, on on this further journey you know and even in corporate America we see this all the time like totally I think like seventy eight percent of people every year are looking to change jobs well, what does that tell you? they're unhappy they're not doing what they really want to be doing with their life, right but they have to because you know the first half of life produces all of these things like a house that has a mortgage and a car or multiple cars that have payments, right? And so they have to continue to do all of these things in an effort to keep these things going and keep up with these obligations. It's just so hard to let those things go. Because if all of a sudden you were to say, hey, you know what, what I really want to be doing is I want to be managing a bed and breakfast in the Swiss Alps. It's like, oh,
2: shit. Okay.
1: Or like yourself, I want to be a nomad and I want to travel the world and I, I want to do a podcast and I want to write a book. Like how many people actually actually give themselves the opportunity to fully go and chase their dreams? Very few.
0: Yeah, it's scary, I think, as well, right? I think a lot of a lot of people are just more afraid of it failing than they are of what they actually want to do. Like that outweighs totally. it. It's sad. 100%. There's not enough encouragement for people to do things. That's why I try to encourage people. If they say something, they get inspired. I'm like, yeah, do it. Who gives a shit what anybody says? If it fucking feels good, like take action, write it down. So you don't forget, like at least take some little bit, feel into it. Is it coming from, you know, your soul, your heart? You know, if that's, if that's your intuition is speaking to you, God, whatever, whatever you want to say, it's, Mm -hmm. it's so important To take that seriously because we got one life here. Why wouldn't we do that? Yeah. Well, think about
1: the number one regret of the dying, Lance. It's that I wish I had lived a life true to myself. That's exactly what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Most people never give themselves the benefit of truly chasing their dreams and connecting with their heart and their soul because the first half of life, it's all a mental construct. Yeah. Yeah right? So people are living in their heads. They're not operating from their heart, from their soul. But what happens when all of a sudden we you know, take that 18-inch drop and go from our head to our heart Well, we break free from the entrapments of the first half of life? And we're like, wait a minute, what am I really passionate about? What do I really love doing? What are the things that I invest my time, energy, and effort in that nobody has to push me to because I, I firmly believe that we secretly gravitate towards the things that we love the most. Yeah. But very few people are actually trying to make those things their vocation or their profession. Because like you said, for some reason, there's fear that they won't be able to be successful, that it's not going to work out, that it's going to fail.
0: Or we see people that tell us things that it's the right way to do it. And if we're not doing it like they are, then we start to doubt ourselves. That's the dangerous social media and consuming too much, too much of that stuff.
2: Totally.
1: Well, I don't know about you, but the whole reason that I went to college was because my parents went to college. Right. And they were like, well, that's just what you do. And as an 18 year old kid, I was like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Yeah. Because, you know, I hadn't really started to think for myself, at least as an adult at that point, because I was still very young, you know, my dad—the only reason that he got his first corporate job was because he had a college degree, and the other guy didn't, you know. And right. so, to me, like, yeah, going to college just makes sense. And now I look back and I'm like, man, that was a big waste of time and a bunch of debt, you know. Like, college college taught me nothing about emotional intelligence and how to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. I, I learned all those things by going and. and and doing them through real life experience and you know so yeah i mean this is this is the real real work that our ego absolutely wants nothing to do with it but our soul is
2: craving it
1: yeah our soul is craving it i once heard that depression is the need for deep rest from the masks that we've been wearing.
2: That's, a, that's, that's deep.
1: And it gives me every reason to believe that anxiety is really just the felt sensation of separation from our true and authentic self. Because our false self, again, it's just a projection of a persona. It's not who we really are. It's just who we think we need to be in an effort to be loved, accepted, and successful. I mean, last year, Lance, 337 million prescriptions were given out for anti-anxiety medication.
2: That's absurd. It's wild. It's absurd. Yeah. How does somebody, let's say, for instance, you're working with somebody, how does yeah. somebody identify whether they are actually doing things that
0: are actually true to themselves? Because, they may mm. think they are sure. They may think this is the right thing, but it's not really like, how does somebody that's listening figure that out? Because, you know, yeah. we've done some work and we're having this conversation and we kind of understand that concept, but what if yep. somebody doesn't like, how does somebody know?
1: It's a great question. That's a really great question. And I think at least for me and my, and through my own personal experiences, but also in the experiences of my clients, you will know based on how you feel in your physical body. Because if you're not being authentic, if you're not being true to yourself and the desires of your heart, it will absolutely produce stress and anxiety. When you are performing, when you are playing a part, playing a role, operating from a persona, the false selves and not your true and authentic self, it will one hundred percent cause you to experience stress and anxiety, disease in the body.
2: Mm.
1: Which, as we know, if the body is kept in a prolonged state of disease, what ends up occurring? Disease. Right. Your body will start to develop physical symptoms, and that's kind of what happened to me. When you think about it, I was yeah operating at a high level of stress. For a long period of time, I didn't know it. I mean, I knew that I was stressed because I was navigating all this life transition. But what I didn't know, Lance, I was actually holding my breath. Carrie would point it out to me when we'd be sitting on the couch next to each other. She'd be like, "You realize you're holding your breath?" And I was like, "No." And no, I had no idea. And what is hypoxia? A lack of oxygen in the bloodstream. Was, so eventually, so eventually, my body just went Ink, and pulled the plug. Symptoms, breath. physical symptoms in the body.
2: Breath is such a thing that we don't
0: think about.
1: Totally. Right. <laughs> but most
0: people, Lance, you
1: know, they're, they're trying to heal from their emotional pain through you know, meditation and breath work and yoga and all these different things. And unfortunately, all those things really do are, are treat the symptoms. Right. Right. Because anxiety and stress and depression, those are just symptoms. They're not the, the root cause of it. Why do we take on these personas?
2: It's to avoid pain. Think about it. Who do I need to be in order to be loved, accepted, and successful? Well,
1: what happens if that doesn't happen? Rejection, (laughs) failure, right? So all of it is done in an attempt to
2: avoid experiencing pain. So. It's a survival strategy. What did you do to work? Like, what are some things
0: that you use to work through the depression and anxiety? Because I think I, yeah, you, you mentioned this before too about meditation and breath work somewhere. I think I saw it. And if, okay, so those are tools, but then how do we actually fix the issue? Like, what is it that you, you recommend or that mm-hmm. you, you were doing because it's a good mm-hmm. point, right? It's it's like what do we do? How do yeah. we how do we go deeper? Like how do we start to how do we actually fix it if those aren't the ways that actually mm-hmm. move it?
1: Well, we've been talking about Carl Jung this whole time, and I think he said it best in so far that until the unconscious is made conscious, it will continue to run your life, and you will call it fate. Here's the issue: there's no coming to consciousness without pain. You have to experience the pain that. You have historically and unconsciously been avoiding through the use of this persona. So that's what you have to do, right? That's what the dark night of the soul is all about. It's right. when the bot it's when the bottom falls out, and you experience all of the rejection or pain or suffering that's beneath the persona that is currently blocking you from feeling and experiencing
2: and healing Mm -hmm. that's its purpose so would you recommend then like how do you feel deep enough into that though like how
1: you have to um, peel back the layers
2: yeah you
1: have to peel back the layers so therapy and coaching in my experience, are botched for and away the absolute best ways to do that. Because you have to have somebody mirroring you in order to point out your blind spots. In other words, in order to make the unconscious conscious, right? We can do it through journaling. That's absolutely a way that you can make the unconscious conscious. But it typically takes a lot longer than if you have someone Supporting you and working through those things, right? That's where you start to experience acceler- accelerated growth and transformation because you have someone mirroring back to you. Because the way that the ego keeps you safe is by hiding this from you, right? Literally by keeping this in your unconscious mind, in your blind spots. Right? Right. And this is why so few people really want to address it because it is so painful. And so, what do we do? Well, we end up turning to addictions in order to self-soothe, And we have, you know, a little bit more damaging coping mechanisms in order to self-soothe like drugs, alcohol, pornography, right? It's very easy for us to like, say like, oh yes, those things are, you know, are, are bad, right? Or detrimental to your health or whatever. But think about like working out, working out is absolutely a hundred percent a coping mechanism to Mm self-soothe, right? I used to coach health and fitness professionals early on when I was an entrepreneur. And I can tell you that the vast majority of them, the unconscious motivation behind their conscious desire to get in shape and to look a certain way is they were bullied or they're they're insecure, or they're insecure. They experienced some type of rejection. And so what do they do in an effort to not be bullied? Again, I'm gonna put on all this muscle. What do they do in an effort to be loved? Well, I'm gonna sculpt the perfect body. It's not true for everyone, but yeah, in my experience, it's true for
0: the vast majority of people. There's there's a lot of them that are like, fuck the world, I'm gonna show them. And then totally. they like, right? You see that a lot. I mean, totally. And we all kind of do this in our yeah, own
1: way. Of course. Yeah. Just that some of them are a little bit more covert. I mean, yeah. Lance, think about it. Caretaking yeah. is an is another way that we keep the focus on other people by meeting other people's needs. Right. So that so that the attention is not on us and our needs, right? It becomes an avoidance strategy to experiencing anxiety because we're constantly focused on other people in an effort to not focus on what's going on inside of ourselves. So caretaking, but of course, outwardly, what do we do? We applaud it, right? We're like, look at how yes. loving they are and, and look at how much they care for other people. And they do. Right. Consciously. But the unconscious motivation beneath that is I don't want to feel this anxiety. So what am I going to do? I'm going to constantly be focused out on other people. Yeah. I see it all the time. Yeah. Right. So there's these noble coping mechanisms like caretaking, like health and fitness and working out like food. Right. Oh, yeah. A lot of people that experience eating. Right. It didn't start out that way. It started out with them being incredibly health conscious. And eating very healthy, and it just kept getting more and more restrictive to the point to where it got unhealthy. Right. But at first, right, in the beginning, we applaud it because they're like, look how health conscious they are. Right. It's all done in an effort to mask and avoid pain.
0: So interesting, bro. This stuff is just fascinating to me. Is so you're writing a book also. I want to kind of tee people up to think about that. What is the What is the context of that? Is that kind of the same sort of stuff we're talking about or?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Because, you know, for me, I, I was sexually abused when I was I think, 12 or 13. Mm. And so my unconscious attempt in order to avoid the pain and the severity of that rejection was to essentially project this persona on the outside that everything
2: was fine. Right. So my physical fitness on point, my career on point, the way that I talk,
1: the way that I walked, my education, all of it was super on point. So from the outside, looking in, you're like, Jake's got it all together. When really I was like dying inside because I experienced this really horrible, traumatic thing that was clearly abuse, but I didn't even acknowledge it as abuse until I was 28, like 15 years later, because I just didn't want to go there. Yeah. I didn't want to acknowledge it. And the minute I did, I was forced to feel all the grief and the sadness and the pain attached to that experience that egoically I had been trying so desperately to unconsciously avoid. And the minute I did, of course, what happened? That persona was ripped away cuz you know when i talk about this in my book to make a long story short i you know started to go through therapy and eventually got to the point where i was like i feel comfortable sharing my story online to to serve other people cuz i know that a lot of people have gone through this i think they say that one in 3 women will eventually at some point in their life experience some form of sexual assault or abuse for men they say it's one in 6 but i can tell you right now from my experience it's basically the same it's just that men don't want to talk about it and they have a hard and they have a harder time admitting it. And so I post this story online, and all of a sudden this persona, this projection, was ripped away from me. And I ended up experiencing a what's referred to clinically as an acute nervous system breakdown. Basically a panic attack on steroids. Because this projected persona that I had used to protect myself from being rejected decades. Cause I posted this in like early 2019 so I would have been 33 at the time so over two decades was ripped away and all of a sudden I was forced to confront this pain in a way that up until then I had not because now it wasn't just like between me and a therapist it was like oh hey me and everyone who is connected to me on social media friends family
2: clients everyone it was ripped away. It takes incredible courage. Oh, thanks, Dan. Yeah. And cool. I heard you speak about that, you know, when, in our event last year. You know Been through a lot, man. You know, but these these
0: things end up being our gifts, right? Our tools to help people. And I think, you know, what you're doing now is is really powerful, bro.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I
2: appreciate that.
1: Yeah, this is, this is a 100% my life's work yeah. now because I know that most men are like me. They are performing. They just don't know it. right? At least most of them. They don't realize that they're just projecting a persona in an effort to be loved, accepted, and successful, which is really keeping them from their higher purpose, a greater degree of love, success and fulfillment that right now they can't even imagine experiencing Mm.
2: because
1: that's what the second half of life is all about
2: yeah
0: exactly so what to kind of wrap things up here i got this one question i've been wanting to ask you i don't want to forget how has your definition of success changed and like, what does success mean to you now? When you sit here after yeah. what you've been through, like, what does it actually mean? You've made all the money, you know, yeah. you, you, know, you have a beautiful partner, mm-hmm. beautiful family, you, you know, mm-hmm. you made it. Yeah. Right. What does it look like it, to you it, now?
1: Honestly, the quality and the depths of the relationships that I have, experiences, but honestly, most importantly, how I feel in my, my physical body. Because if you have all the world, but you lose your soul, where does it matter? If I'm in a state of anxiousness, depression, stress, if I'm not fulfilled in my relationship, if my physical health isn't where I want it to be, what's the point? right? I can have all all the money in the bank account that I could ever hope, wish, and want for, but it doesn't matter. I mean, even the hedonic treadmill, which if you're familiar with it, it basically measures money against happiness. It spikes at like a hundred grand people's level of happiness, like from 30,000 to like a hundred thousand, it goes ping through the roof. But after that, it doesn't really people's happiness as their income increases. One million, two million, 10 million, 20 million. doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. So what, what are we doing working so hard? and I say this more to the entrepreneurs, because you know you and I are both entrepreneurs, like, what are we pushing so hard for? Why are we chasing success? So much so that the other areas of our life are out of alignment or are fundamentally lacking in fulfillment, what are we doing right we're We're avoiding something that's the only reason that we chase after something right We're running from something in the effort of pursuing something
2: love it, man.
0: Powerful stuff where can we people want to learn more about your work where can we yeah see?
1: so best best place.
0: It's on my Instagram, which
1: is I am Jake Kaufman, my website, JacobKaufman.com. And then yeah, we'll be sure to let you know when the book is coming out. We don't have a, a date yet, but we're in the final stages
0: of editing, so it should be done here shortly. So that's a journey of itself. A beautiful journey
2: of itself, right in that thing. It absolutely is. Yeah. I mean we have a title yet? Let Love In. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Let Love In. That's awesome, man. I'm looking forward to it. It'll change a lot of lives.
0: Too. I love the work that you're doing, man. It's, it's beautiful and it's much needed. And I'm proud of you, man. You've come, you, you know, what you've been through and been able to overcome. It's why I do this show. It inspires me so much to hear stories like this and just different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So Thank you, brother. Thank you for everything you're doing in the world.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much, Lance. Appreciate you, bro.
0: Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, wherever you're listening to it. And if you are wanting to watch it on YouTube or even not go subscribe over there let us know what you think, leave us a comment, all that good stuff. And like I said earlier, you guys take the warrior quiz, discover your adversity archetype, create that self-awareness in your life. I really want to bring all of you into the email list and share with you things that I don't talk about to other people give you all the, the insight scoop of what I'm thinking and you'd be the first to find out all the stuff. So take that quiz, the warrior quiz, Discovery your adversity archetype all in the information below in the show notes. And as well, you guys last, I'll leave you off. If you haven't grabbed a copy, mastering adversity, my new book, make sure to do so it's greatly appreciated. And I'm telling you, I wrote this to help people move through shit And this will give you the tools of my real life stories and my expertise of what I've learned up until this point. And I know it'll help you because it's helped a lot of people. All right.
2: Love you guys. We will catch you next time. Much love.